0: Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verse 17 and um, through 28. If you have the means and you're able, please stand. I know we've been up and down a lot this morning. If you need to stay seated, that's fine. Um, I understand. But if you have the means and you're able, stand one more time if you would. Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 17, we'll go through verse 28. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. All right, here we go. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And it's due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do an honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You can be seated. Let me pray one more time, please. Father, once again, we come to You because this is Your Word. Father, um, unless You inspire it to us, unless You speak it to us, Father, the truth of it is its is we're just reading a book. But Father, I know that this is a living, active, powerful Word. and Father, I pray this morning that You would cause it to accomplish Your purpose. Father, I pray this morning that we would hear You speak The same today as You did back then. And Father, I pray, God, that it would change us. Father, You said it is sharper than than any two-edged sword. And Father, I pray this morning that it would do the surgery in our lives that's needed to cut out the things that don't belong. And Father, to help us to put the things on that do belong. Father, I pray this morning that You would help us to leave here today and actually hearing something that we can be a different person today and throughout the rest of our lives because of what You teach us today. So Father, I pray, God, that You would cause it to accomplish Your purpose, whatever that is. We know and trust it won't come back to You void. You will cause it to do what You sent it out to do. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're um, we're moving right along in our series of what it means to be born again. And... Um, As you remember, I started this series just teaching that being born again is more than just saying a prayer. Jesus said, unless you are born from above, then you cannot see the kingdom of God. And we come to find out that Jesus actually referenced the Old Testament prophecies, what the prophets used to tell them about the coming new covenant. Primarily that He is going to give us new hearts he's going to give us new minds he's going to give us a spirit his spirit inside of us that leads us and guides us and teaches us the way of Christ and we are going to be a new person a different person i want you to notice in verse um in verse uh, 17 he says the problem is that they we used to walk in the futility of our minds. Remember where he says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk this way. That means that we all used to walk this way, right? We all used to walk in minds that were futile, useless. They had no purpose in them. They were living for a temporary world that was going to be destroyed in the end. Not living for the glory of God, not storing up treasures in heaven, but futile minds. And it says that they were darkened in their understanding in verse 18. So there again, the mind. We didn't have understanding. Our understanding was darkened. We we did not know what it meant to live for the glory of God. We only knew what it meant to live for our own desires, to please our own selves. Everything we did was to please ourselves. That's the reason why he says it was because of the ignorance that was in them." So in other words, ignorance is what? Lack of knowledge, right? And so darkened understanding, futile minds, lack of knowledge. And it was due to hardness of heart. We didn't want God in our lives. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. You come out of the womb saying, don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. Right? We tell a young kid, don't you put your finger in that light socket. What do they do? What's the first thing they do? Here we go. That's exactly right. And so we grow up the teenage years. We grow up in teenage years. I don't want mom and daddy telling me what to do. I can make my own rules. I can live my own life. And ultimately, this is what was handed down to us through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? God told them, you can eat from any tree except what tree? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. In other words, they had to depend on God to lead them in every step because they did not have the knowledge of good and evil. But when they ate from the tree, they in effect said, God, we don't need You to tell us right from wrong anymore. We can decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. And that same heart has been handed down to each and every one of us, right? I mean, I don't have to prove that to you this morning, do I? You see it everywhere, alright? And so that's what it means to be darkened in understanding, to be, have a lack of knowledge. And this has caused us to be alienated from the life of God, as you see in verse, uh, seven, uh, verse 18 again. We are alienated from the life of God. We are now, instead of having life of God, we have death because of our sin, because of this ignorance. And so, he tells us very plainly that if we are born again, it's because we learn from Christ and now we have understanding. We know what it means to be a sinner. We now have minds that understand that we were made for the glory of God. We're no longer darkened in that understanding. And our hearts are no longer hardened, but now our hearts are crushed. Anybody remember when you were saved, what happened to your heart? When you recognized where you stood with God? And so you're no longer a hardness of heart, but now God has given you a new heart and a new mind, and you'll see that. Look with me in verse um, uh, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming... That you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the truth. That you put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and you are renewed in the spirit of your minds. So there again, He gives you a new mind. And he's renewing this mind, the spirit of your minds, by teaching you more and more about Jesus. You learn the truth in Jesus. You are renewed in the spirit of your minds. And as he teaches you more and more about Jesus, you learn how to put off the things that are not like God, but belong to that person that was anti-God. And you learn to put on the things that are created. Go with me to verse, um, 23 or 24 and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, here's the summary. I need you to get this. The summary of this is simple. In Jesus, you now know how to live for the glory of God. In Jesus, you have been given a new mind. A mind that's not darkened, but enlightened. A mind that doesn't lack understanding, but has understanding. A mind that actually has the desire to learn about God and to be led by God. In Jesus, you've been given a new heart. A heart that says, it's not hardened, but it is tender toward God. I want to follow God. And what happens to your heart whenever you displease God and you sin against God? It breaks your heart. Man, those are the evidences of what it means to be born again. To be born from above. If you don't have those things, I'm telling you this morning, you must be born again. And you are to cry out to God to ask Him to forgive you to repent of your sin and to turn and believe the gospel and let Him change your heart and let Him change your mind. And that's a work that He does. It's not a work I can do. Jesus explained it like this. He said, being born of the Spirit is like the wind. We don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it goes when it leaves. But one thing we know is what? It's been there. We see the effects. We know the effects. And I know that the Spirit has been here. And the evidence is there because I have a changed mind. I have an enlightened mind. The evidence is there because I have a changed heart. I have a heart that now desires to please God. And if those things are not there, I'm telling you today, you have not been born again and you must be born again. That's the first step. But Paul is talking to people that have been born again and he says to them, you must no longer walk the way you did when you didn't have understanding, when you weren't enlightened, when you had a hard heart toward God, you must not walk that way anymore because that's not the way you learn Jesus if indeed you actually learn from Him. And he says, here's what you learn from Jesus, that we have to put off that old man. And we have to put on. This is something you must do, guys. This is not something that just happens naturally. This is a decision that you have to make. I am going to learn from Jesus. And as I learn from Jesus, I'm going to put this off. Not by my power, but by the Spirit that He's put in me as He leads me and He guides me and I follow Him. It's that simple. I can't take credit for it, but I do have responsibility to put this off and put this on. So in the application, we see in verse 25, he says, "...therefore..." In other words, you could replace it, therefore, by saying this. If you have really been born again, if you really have new hearts and if you really have new minds and if you've really learned from Jesus and if you really want to put off the old and put on the new, here's what you do. He says, put away lying, falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we're members of one another. And The point being, I'm not going to re-preach it, unity is vital. If you read the entirety of Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to the end, you'll understand what he's talking about when he says we're members of one another. He puts you together in a body, into the body of Christ. And unity is not an option. It is a necessity. And so unity is not vital. And he says one of the things that breaks apart this unity, lying to one another. Don't lie to one another, but instead speak the truth with your neighbor. We're members of one another. Then he goes on he says... And be angry, but don't sin. In other words, what happens to you when someone does lie to you? So he moves on, just follow his train of thought, and he quotes from Psalm chapter 4 verse 4. And we went back last week and we looked at Psalm chapter 4 so that you could understand it. But the point being is that there is time to be angry. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. But the way you respond to it can be. God is angry, right? But is God sinful? Not at all. And so we have to learn to be angry, but don't sin. And then He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or your rage. That first word where He says, be angry, but don't sin, that comes from a Greek word that means a controlled anger. It means that I am mad, but I'm not lost control. I just have an emotion of anger. But that second word where He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, it could actually be translated wrath or rage because it comes from a Greek word that means an uncontrolled, unleashed anger. And that's what happens when you allow anger to lead you into sin. So be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your rage. Settle it in your spirit. Calm down. Settle down. And if you don't, What do you do? You give opportunity to the devil. You give opportunity to the devil. So today we get into the application of verse 28 where he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now you remember when I started this series that I told you that the outline in each one of these um, verses went like this. Here's something for you to put off. Here's something for you to put on. And here's the reason why. For instance, don't lie to one another. Put that off. Put on speaking the truth to each other. And here's why. Because we're members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Put off sinful anger and put on anger that, you don't let go into rage and wrath, but you learn to work out with your brothers and sisters. All right, And the reason why, because if you don't, you provide opportunity for the devil. And this is the pattern you see all the way through here. So today's pattern is very simple. Put off being a taker. That's what he means when he says, let the thief no longer steal. Put off being somebody that's just a taker. And we're going to see why here in just a minute and put on being a hard-working giver. And let's see where we see this at. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, so put off stealing, being a taker, but rather let him what? Labor. Put on hard work. Be somebody that is a hard worker. That's what the word labor means. He didn't say here just put on uh, to do a little bit of work. He said put on labor. Let him labor, and then he says, here's why. Doing honest work with his hands, and here's the reason why. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So if you're making an outline, that's the way the outline would go. The first step is, we're going to put off being a taker. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. The second step, we're going to put on being a giver. And the reason why? Because God wants us to be able to give to people that are in need. He wants us to be those kind of people. And we're going to see why He wants that here in just a few minutes. So I have three main points for you this morning. Here's the first point. The new man that you're putting on is not a taker. He's not somebody that is just always, what can I get for me? How can I fulfill my desire in everything? That's not who the new man is. That's not who Jesus was. That's not who God is. And so the new man is not a taker. Notice in verse 19, back in there, he said, "...they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality." That word sensuality means an unbridled fleshly lust. In other words, they don't even try to control their desires anymore. Basically. If it feels good, guess what? And is that not what you see us moving more toward? The more callous to right and wrong, the more callous to sin we get in this nation, do you not see that that's where it's going? We are giving ourselves up to sensuality, an unbridled fleshly lust. If my heart desires it, go do it. And that's what the the message of the United States is today. If it makes you happy, don't you let anybody tell you any different. Right? And so, it is a selfish thing. It's all about what my heart wants, what I want. And notice the next word he uses in verse 19. Because of this, they have become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, what you see here is that I have got to get what I can get right now. If it makes me happy, I want it now. I have no restraint, no control. If it makes me feel good and it does not violate my standard of goodness, then there's nothing wrong with it. And this is the kind of hearts that you had before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before you saw yourself as a sinner before God. And we are to put off this greedy desire to satisfy ourselves because that's just being a taker. In other words, I only want what I want. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. And that ultimately, my friends, is the heart behind every thief. I don't care about you and what it costs you. I only care about me and what I get. And because of that, I steal. I'm a taker. Well, the new man is not a taker. And so he puts very plainly here you have to put off that kind of mentality. Notice that the new man is a man that is focused on God and on eternal things. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and hold your place in Ephesians 4. But 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 5. And I want you to see how the difference between the sinful man and what he focuses on, and the newborn Christian and what he focuses on. So follow along with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. Notice he says this, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So here he's describing the man that is futile-minded, darkened in understanding, and he is deprived of the truth. In other words, ignorant in his understanding. This is the description of it. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So the only thing he's worried about, even this kind of man in the church... These kind of men are sometimes preachers. And the only thing that they care about is what? Gain. Gain. That's all they care about. And look at verse 6. But instead, here's what the contrast is. Godliness with contentment is actually what is great gain. That's what's gain. The new man is not focused on the old gain the new man is focused on godliness and being content with what he has. He's not looking at this world going, "I've got to get what I can get right now because it may not be here tomorrow, so I have got to get it now." That's the mindset. I got to have, I got to have, I got to have, I've got to have more because I got to be satisfied before it's over. And that's what he's always chasing this this lack of contentment, thinking it's gain. But look at verse seven for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take. We can take anything out of the world. I don't care what you gain here and now. You can be a taker for the rest of your life and you can work your life away trying to gain, gain, gain. You can steal and you can gain. But if your heart is the heart of a taker, you need to understand this truth. You brought nothing into this world. And when this world is over and it's happening quickly, you will take nothing out of it. Keep going with me. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. This is the godly man. Not the worldly man that his heart is set on being a taker. The godly man is set on, his focus is on eternal things. His focus is on godliness. His focus is on just being content in this world. In verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's why. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now listen, we falsely interpret that a lot of times. We actually falsely quote it. What do people usually say? For the love of money is the root of what? All evil. That's not what he said. He said the the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evils. It's not the root of all evil. The root of all evil is a sinful heart. That's the root of all evil. But it is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, As for you, flee these things. You're not a taker. You're not a taker. Because your focus is not on the here and the now. Your focus is not on, I've got to get what's mine. I've got to get what's mine. Your focus is on, I can't wait for what's coming. I can't wait for what's coming. And that's what you're going after. So flee these things and instead you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And you fight the good fight of faith. You take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I could go off. (coughs) Excuse me. The point being, and I think I made it with this text, is very clear. The new man that we're putting on is not a taker. Not at all. He does not find his satisfaction in more, more, more. And again, that's the heart of a thief for the most part, right? I want what you've got and I don't care what it costs me, so I'm going to what? I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it. That is not the heart of the new man. The new man is focused on God and eternal things. And if you will put your focus... Remember he said, but for you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue these things. If you will do this and you will put your heart on what God has prepared for you, let me tell you the kind of heart you're going to have. You're going to want to be generous now. And you are going to be ready to share. In verse 18 and 19 of the same text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go with me there. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous... Y'all catch it? To be generous and to do what? Ready to share. And what is the result of it in verse 19? Thus storing up what? Treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the what? Future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So again, here is my point. The reason why Paul says to you, you need to put off being a taker is because that belongs to the old man who was greedy for everything that fulfilled his desire. But you, O man of God, flee that. Flee it. Listen, if you have godliness and food and clothing, be content because that's great gain. And if you have extra, be ready to be generous. Be ready to share because in doing so, you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for a bright future in eternal life. And that is the difference that we're seeing here. Paul is just putting very plainly, this is what the old man looks like. This is what the man created after the image of God looks like. This is what Jesus looked like. Did you see Jesus going around this world saying, I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to get, I've got to have this, I've got to have this. No. That's not the way He lived His life. He lived His life, if He had food and clothing, He was content. And He was ready to be generous. He was ready to share. And so if you'll do this, you'll have the same kind of heart. You know, I want you to think about something for a minute. I just thought about this. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Fed it with two fish, five loaves, right? I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for just a moment. Everybody, do this, all right? You're a disciple, and Jesus has just came to you and said, "Hey, we're going to feed five thousand with two fish and five loaves." And Jesus said, "Here's what I want you to do: go and make the people sit down in rows. Basically, he created a." A church service here. Go make them sit down in rows. And I'm going to go and I'm going to divide this food and I'm going to give it to you and you go out and you serve the people. Do you not think that in their minds, when they got that first plate to go to the first row and they're serving all these people, they're going, and when they come back to Jesus for the next round, what are they thinking? There's no way that this is going to be enough, right? And so do you think it's possible that in the disciples' minds that they may have been thinking to themselves, maybe I better put a little bit of this... (laughs) Come on, y'all. Right? I mean, if we're going to eat, maybe we better... But what happened every time they kept coming back to get the next plate to go to the next row? There was always enough. And let me tell you something that these disciples learned by walking with Jesus. They learned from the truth of Jesus. They learned that when they're trusting God to give it, it never runs out. And they don't have to be somebody that's going, I've got to get some for me. I've got to save some for myself. I've got. To... There's not going to be enough left over. There's not going to be another opportunity. They always had their focus on Christ. And as long as they had their focus on Christ, guess what? They were never takers. They were always what? That is the difference. in when you have your focus on the world and when you have your focus on God and His promises, if you have your focus on the world, your mind is always going to be, one day it's going to run out. This opportunity may not present itself again, so I've got to get it now. This is something that may not come again. I may not have this chance again, so I've got to do it now. But the person that has his focus on God remembers one thing. What God gives never runs out. Never runs out. And I'm going to keep my focus in that area. And that is the difference between somebody who is a taker and somebody who is a giver. He has learned from Christ that He is an inexhaustible giver. The second thing, I've only got three points. The second point, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, the second part. I'm sorry, not verse 2, verse 28, the second part of verse 28 but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Here's the next point. Honest work is God-honoring. Honest work is God-honoring. God is a worker. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, My Father is working until now, and I am working. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said this, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, Before the fall, how many of you have always thought that work came as a result of the fall? Come on, be honest. Work was here before the fall. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what it says. The Lord God took the man that He had made and put him in the Garden of Eden to, quote, work it and take care of it. Now granted, after sin, work became thorns, thistles, sweat of the brow, labor. I agree with you. But work has always been God-honoring because God is a worker. And we were made in the image of God. We were made to be workers. And when you are not a worker, you are still anti-God. Now I understand there are some who can't work, and I get that. But someone who will not provide for his own family, what does the Bible say about him? Worse than an unbeliever. You know why? Because you were made in the image of God and you were made to be a provider, to be a worker. And so work has always been God honoring because God is a worker and we were made in His image. And so the Bible has a lot to say about someone who doesn't work. I don't have time to take you through all of them. But let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just like we did in Timothy. Again, these are the writings of Paul. So I want to take you to um, what Paul has to say in more depth about someone who doesn't work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Because you're going to see why I say honest work is God honoring. And if honest work is God honoring, then one who won't work or doesn't work honestly is what? Dishonoring to God. And we're going to see what Paul has to say about it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... This is a command, right? In the name of Jesus, a command. That you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. In other words, you keep away from someone who is lazy and will not work. Now you're going to go on to see that he has already addressed this issue in 1 Thessalonians. This is the third time he's addressing it right here, alright? So it's not like he hasn't tried to deal with this brother. No. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, admonish and correct the people who are idle or who will not work. In other words, he's dealt with this before, right? And so, by the time he gets here, now he's saying to them, okay, we've already tried to correct them. They are proving that they have no desire to be God-honoring. They won't repent. They won't get to work. But instead, they're idle in all their ways. So now your responsibility is to do what? Keep away from them. Keep away from them. They're not God-honoring in what they do. All right. so that's the first way that we know that God is not honored by someone who doesn't work. The next way, look at verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. So there Paul says very plainly, Imitate us. And you remember who Paul said he was imitating? Christ. Imitate us because we're imitating Christ. Well, what are they imitating? What are they doing? They're working hard. They're working hard to provide. But now notice in verse 9, because I am bivocational, but not every minister is. Look at verse 9. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give to you and in ourselves an example to imitate. In other words... They had the right, you remember what the law of God said, do not muzzle the ox while he what? Treads out the grain. In other words, Paul and the apostles had every right as he did the work of the Lord to depend on the church, but they did not do it because they wanted to provide an example of the way that they should live. And specifically, the example of being a hard worker. Someone who honors God with being a hard worker, providing for themselves and providing for others. Not eating anyone's bread without paying for it. Not being a taker, you see that? But being a giver. All right, keep going with me in verse 9 and 10. Or in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command If anyone is not willing to work, let him what? I know. There are, I got friends today. This reason why I'm not in certain ministries anymore. I was a part of ministries, I'm not going to call by name, but I was in part of ministries that basically their, their um, um, theology on helping people was just you don't ask no questions. You just, if somebody comes in and they want money for something or they want favor for something, we're just going to give it to them. We're not going to have any kind of application process. We're not going to have any kind of. And I said, yeah. Mm -mm. I'm not doing that. Now, granted, I do believe that we can become people that try to find every reason not to help somebody. Can't we? We just look for a reason. I mean, we got applications after applications. If you can't answer every one of these, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We can become that way too. But I do believe that the Bible is very clear. The command given here is this. If you don't want to work, guess what? you're going to get hungry. And it is not the church's responsibility to feed you if you're not willing to work. So there again, what you see is God does not honor someone who will not work. Are y'all tracking with me? Amen. All right. <laughs> That's awful strong. Amen, brother. <laughs> All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Look what he says next. For we hear... "...that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living." So there again, the Bible says, don't be idle. Don't be idle. Be a worker. And if you're not busy at work, it will lead you into other sins." You ever heard that an an idle time is what? The devil's time. That's right. That's exactly right. And so idleness leads you into those. And I could show you other Scriptures that prove that as well. If you want to read it yourself, 1 Timothy 5 verse 13 says the same thing. Idleness leads to gossips and busybodies. And so to be idle and not busy at work leads to other sins. And notice what the remedy is in verse 12. The remedy... From falling, from not falling into these sins, he says, "Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There again, God gave you work as a gift. It is God honoring. Work will actually keep you out of trouble. And idleness and not working will probably lead you into being a busybody, a gossip, a slanderer, into being meddling in other people's affairs. You will have too much time on your hands. Can I get a witness somebody? So he says here very plainly, get to work because you won't fall into those sins, likely, if you are working and earning your own living. Honest work is God honoring, and God does not honor one who does not work because God is a worker and you were made in His image. All right. Now, last point. The new man is a giver because God is a giver. So we're putting off the old man because he's a taker and God's not a taker. We're working with our hands to become a giver because God is a worker and He is a giver. And we want to be givers. And so, look at uh, you ain't got to turn here, I'll read them to you. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world is the Lord's and those who dwell therein belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. To the Lord belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens. To the Lord belongs the earth and everything in it. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. He is not served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? In other words, do you have anything that you did not receive from God? Everybody do this. You know where that come from? The moment that He says, you will not take another breath, you know what will happen to you? That's it. The Lord is the giver of everything and we are called to imitate Him. And guess what? We are the people in need. We're the weak. And yet God gives to us. God provides for us. He gives you strength to work. He gives you ability to work. You know the only difference between you and the person that's lame and can't get up and go to work? The grace of God is the only difference. That's it. There is no other difference. And so God is a giver, not a taker. And we're called to imitate God because He is a giver. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. He's speaking to the Ephesians. This will be the last verse that I give you. Acts chapter 20, verse 33 through 35. This is what he says. Speaking to the Ephesian elders. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And you know that I worked with my hands to provide for myself and for those that were with me. I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak or the ones that are unable to work. And to remember Jesus' words when He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so there again, my point is this. The new man is a giver because God is a giver. And if you are not a generous person who is ready to share, it's either because God hasn't blessed you to be able to share or because you won't get up and work so that you can be able to share. Or maybe it's just the fact that you have not recognized that you are no longer a taker and your focus is in the wrong place and all you look at is the here and now, and so you're focused on, I've got to get now, I've got to put some in my pockets because after God gives, there's not going to be enough left. Maybe you need to put your focus back on the giver and keep coming back to Him and realize that he never runs out. He never runs out. God is a giver and the new man is a giver because he's made in the image of God. And we are called to put this on. In closing, very simple truths that should be applied to your life today. We put off being a selfish, greedy taker who only focuses on getting all that we can get here and now as if this were it. But listen to me, guys. Paul said you have to put that away, right? You have to do it. And so I'm telling you a truth here today so that you'll be renewed in your mind. You can examine yourself and you can see just how much of a giver you are and how much of a taker you are. And now you have the choice to take that truth and with your new heart and your new mind Put off the thing that is displeasing and dishonoring to God and put on the way that is honoring to God. To be a hard worker. To be generous. And to give to those who have need. Not to those who are not willing to work. I'm just saying. We must put this on. Maybe you work hard. But primarily, you work hard to get more here. I know people that work all the time. You know, I can't remember what psalm it is. Y'all will be able to find it very easily. But he says, unless the Lord build the house, he who builds it, builds it in what? In vain. It's useless. Do you know what he's talking about in that psalm? He's talking about building a life here on this earth. He's talking about building riches here on this earth. But then he starts talking about happy is the man that's got a quiver full of children. Building a family for the Lord. And He gives reasons why. But the point being in that psalm is He tells us very plainly, you better not be work, 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 work trying to build a house that the Lord ain't leading you to build. You remember that parable of that guy that said, man, I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got so much crop coming in, I've got to build bigger barns and I've got to have more places to store up many goods. And after all the crop came in, you know what He said to Himself? He said, self We got many goods laid up for many years. We're going to eat, we're going to drink, and we're going to be merry. You remember what happened? You foolish man, tonight thy life is required of you. And now whose things will all those be that you've stored up? In other words, you can build and you can work and you can work and you can work and you can work and and it may not be God-honoring. Because if all your building is for you and for the things of this world, your building is in vain. It's in vain. That's not the kind of work He's talking about here. Maybe you don't care if you have... as long as your needs are met, um, maybe you don't work hard, you just let the bills come and and uh, they just pile up and they get overdue and and you don't even worry about getting up going to work. You know, I can remember when I was a... Um, a young man, that's one thing my daddy instilled in me, a very strong work ethic. I, I've never been a man really to miss work, at least if, unless I've got a day that I'm going to get paid for it. I, mean, I can remember when we were young and in living in an apartment, just got married, it never crossed my mind that I didn't have to go to work. I mean, and I'm not talking bad on this generation because it's a mindset that's not this generation, but it's been in many for years and years. But my mind was always, I don't have a choice. I have to go to work. You know why I have to go to work? There are things that have to be provided for my family. We have needs that we have to meet. And so, that is the kind of mindset that we're looking at here, is that I want to provide. I want to be a provider. I want to be a worker. I want to be a God-honoring worker. And then, I want to be generous with what He gives me. And I want to be ready to share with those who are in need. And so we need to put off being the kind of man that just don't even care if I have enough to meet our needs or if I have enough to be generous and give. No, the truth of the matter is I want to work hard so that not only do I have my needs met, but when I see you in need, you know what I'm able to do? I'm able to help you. And that's the kind of people that we're called to be. This will likely apply to you more than you think. See, when I first read that, I thought, you know, nobody's really going to want to apply to their self that they're a thief. And i got to put off stealing. There'll be some, right? There'll be some. But for the most part, I want you to take it in this application. The thief is nothing more than a taker. And that taker can be somebody who's not necessarily a thief. He just has a heart that all he cares about is what I get. Put that off. Put on being a hard worker because you want to be God-honoring and because you want to be ready and willing to share with someone else that has need, whatever it is. If y'all would stand with me this morning, however this message is meant to apply to you, I pray that it would. This is an opportunity to respond to it if you need to humble yourself before Him and ask Him to give you a a generous heart and to forgive you where you've not been. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing scenarios out there. But do not leave here without the Word of God applying to you. We're all sinners. You may not want to call yourself a thief. But let me tell you something. If you're not taking what God has given you and using it for the purpose that He gave it to you, You remember what He told Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you what's going to happen? All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Through you. You're not the end of His blessing. You are the means to the end.